Well, good morning, Lakeside family and visitors who are tuning in with us this morning. It is good to be back together again and looking forward to being uh, back in the church, hopefully in a couple of weeks as uh, lockdown comes to an end and we get back to being able to have 30% capacity in our churches again. So stay tuned for that. We'll let you know what Sunday uh, we'll be opening up again. But we're continuing this morning in our series in Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 22. And um, last week, as you remember, Matthew 21 was all about King Jesus, the coming of the King and the authority that Jesus has, the claim that he made to all authority over the temple, over creation, over everything. And now what happens in Matthew 22 is we begin to see in event after event and challenge after challenge the resistance to the authority that Jesus claims to have. Uh, you remember in uh, chapter 21, the elders and the chief priests, uh, or the Sanhedrin, the ruling elders of the temple, came to Jesus and asked, by what authority do you do these things? By what authority do you say these things? And so this is the emphasis that Matthew is uh, placing now. The authority of Jesus and the challenges to his authority. Because the reality is, is we want authority. We want control over our own lives. By various means, it is our human nature to construct a worldview around ourselves that says we are living life on our terms. We want control we decide how we're going to act. We decide how we're going to live. We've decided, in other words, what is righteous, what is right behavior. And surprisingly, we measure up to ourselves. We, we construct uh, structures around ourselves and ways of behaving which we believe and are justified as being righteous. And so we are the authority in our life. And we can spend our money the way we want to. We can hold any political view that we want to. We can do what we want with our bodies. Uh, we can live any lifestyle that we want to. And people just naturally want to have that authority in their own life. And some people even construct it via religion, which we see here with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. Um, or they construct it via rationalism and naturalism, which is the Sadducees, and I'll explain that a little bit later or they do it by national culture or identity, like the Herodians here. But it doesn't matter how we resist the authority that God has in our life. We have this tendency to resist authority. And so Matthew here uh, is intentionally now, in this second day that Jesus is in Jerusalem, he is showing how the people are resisting the authority that Jesus claims to have and the authority that God has on their, in their life. And it's kind of interesting how Matthew sets this up in the chapter uh, and as things unfold through the week. Uh, on this particular day, it's almost as if all of the enemies of Jesus have him encircled and they're kind of taking turns coming to him and attacking him. It's like those old Bruce Lee movies or Jackie Chan movies uh, where, you know, all the enemies, all the bad guys have the hero surrounded and for whatever reason they all come at him one at a time and he dispatches with them in turn. And so we kind of have that picture here where the 
the elders and the chief priests questioned Jesus' authority, and then the Pharisees questioned Jesus' authority, uh, along with the Herodians, and then the Sadducees see that they didn't succeed, and so then the Sadducees come and try to trap him, and then the Sadducees fail, and the Pharisees take another run at it. And uh, altogether, it just seems like it's one after another after another challenges through Matthew, the last part of Matthew 21 and all of Matthew 22. They just challenge, challenge, challenge the authority of Jesus, and he dispatches with each challenge in turn. But we want this control. We want this authority over our life. And what happens, as we see here in the chapter, is that the gospel comes along. Jesus comes along in our life and he asserts himself into our world and he asserts his authority over our values and our actions and over our carefully constructed rationalizations. And he says that we have to wake up and we have to correct our error and we have to live differently and recognize that we are not God, but he is God and we don't make the rules and we don't like any of that. And so just like the Herodians and just like the Pharisees and just like the Sadducees and just like the Sanhedrin, we push back and we challenge, and we challenge, and we challenge. And we say, Jesus, is it really like this, or can't I have it my way? We resist his authority, and I do it. I do it in my life. Jesus presses in, and I start pressing back. But all of us need to hear the message of Matthew 22. Matthew 22 is all about the resistance of our flesh against the authority of God. And so Matthew 21 sets up all these scenes where they are challenging the authority of Jesus, and all for various different reasons. Uh, the elders and the chief priests uh, have been, uh, basically had the, the tables overturned in the temple, and Jesus is asserting his authority in the temple, and they want him taken down a peg or two. Uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians, uh, they have a question about how, who we should honor, and they try to trap him that way, and we're going to come back to that one and spend a little bit of time on it, and that's our lesson today. The Sadducees have a question about heaven and the resurrection uh, because they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the spirit world. They don't believe in heaven. Uh, they don't believe in demons. They're, they're your modern-day rationalists or materialists. Um, and then the Pharisees come at them again with a challenge on interpretation of the law. So again, just Matthew 22, you just want to see what Matthew is doing here. He's showing the challenges that keep coming to Jesus and his authority and how Jesus rebukes them. And in every case, Jesus takes them on with boldness. We need to see this here, that his preaching and the apostles' preaching that will follow in the rest of the New Testament is bold. Jesus was not speaking kindly in order to win friends and influence people. Jesus was preaching the truth, knowing that it would offend them. He literally says in the end of chapter 21, when he gives the account of the, the renters or the tenants in the owner's vineyard, who uh, kick out the master's servants and then eventually kill his son. He literally tells them, you are the murderers of this story. You are God murderers, and they know that it's about him, about them. And the apostles are not preaching in the New Testament to be found acceptable or unthreatening to the culture and thereby influence it by some slight measure. Those who follow Jesus are not called to somehow just influence culture a little bit here and there. We, they, the apostles don't try to accommodate cultural trends, and they're certainly not willing to accommodate sin. They are preaching, and we need to be preaching a faithful message, preaching to transform people, preaching to proclaim truth, preaching boldly and clearly so people can see 
the truth. And that's what Jesus is doing here. There will come a day soon when Jesus will be silent, when he will be accused and he will not speak. But that is not this day. Now, in Matthew 22, Jesus is openly confronting all comers, and we will unpack specifically the challenge of paying taxes to Caesar presented by the Pharisees and what it, the lesson that Jesus wants to teach us in it. Now, the Pharisees have been losing out to Jesus in various debates for a while now. And so after his turning over the tables at the temple, after his claiming of authority, after his parables about the Pharisees uh, being God murderers and son murderers, after the parable of the wedding feast in which they are not invited to the heavenly feast, um, they decide that they deliberately now will trap him in order to have him come to harm. And so this is where we're at in Matthew 22. They are making plans and sending their disciples to set Jesus up. They have had enough of Jesus. They've had enough of his authority. They've had enough of his speaking boldly. They just want him taken out. And we come to Matthew 22 uh, and this challenge that they bring to him. And let's just pray before we open up God's word and, and read it and see how it applies to us. Father God, Thank you for Matthew. Thank you for this series that we're in. Thank you for the writing of your gospel by your Holy Spirit that we have preserved for us. Thank you for the picture that we have of the coming King of Jesus in all glory and all splendor and do our honor and with all authority. And now, Lord, thank you for Matthew chapter 22, which shows us that it is our nature to resist the authority of Jesus in our life. But we need to learn the lesson that the Pharisees learn here about the authority Jesus does have and what is his due and what is his honor. And Lord, how we can form ourselves to be following him as he would have us follow. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew twenty-two fifteen to 22, I'll read it in its entirety and then we will unpack it verse by verse. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. They left him and went away. So let's just see what's going on here. There's some cultural things that we need to unpack and understand. There's an object lesson of a coin and a picture and an inscription. We need to understand that. And then there's the instruction that Jesus gives, which shocks and amazes those who are listening and send them off packing. So verse 15 says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him with his words. They want to incriminate him. They think that they are going to be able to trap Jesus by what he says. And it's interesting that they find power in the words that Jesus speaks, or they feel that the words that Jesus speaks have effect and have power over him. And that's true. We have to understand that words are important. 
the things that we say speak very much to the condition of our heart and who we are. And the Pharisees know this. They know that if they can get Jesus to say the right things, it will expose Jesus. And they're thinking there's something in Jesus that they can expose by the things he says, or maybe even by the things that he doesn't say, but specifically how to entangle him in his words. And if we're not careful about how we use our words, they can entangle us. We can get trapped ourselves when we use words that reveal the nature of our heart. And I'm not saying that to say we should be deceitful about our words, but just understand the power of words. And the Pharisees totally understood the power of words. And so they were seeking to entangle Jesus by what he would say. What they don't realize is that Jesus has already warned them in Matthew 12 that he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. <laughs> Jesus is actually going to be the one that's judging the Pharisees on their words. Uh, but they, at this point, are fed up with him. They want him. They are deliberately plotting how to entangle him and trip him up and trap him in his words. And then verse 16 says, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, and I'll just pause there and say, notice here, first of all, that they, they send their disciples, they send their students this time. And we've seen throughout Matthew that the Pharisees have been schooled by Jesus so many times about this point now that they're not even going to face him. They're going to send their students in order to take their lumps. They've given the students a decent plan, but you know what? It may not work. Why get embarrassed again? The Pharisees are tired of getting basically spanked in the supermarket by Jesus every time they come to him. And so these brave men have, you know, sent their students out with this plan to entrap Jesus. And it's the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they are very unlikely allies. They're not normally found together, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And we haven't heard a lot about the Herodians, and the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the Herodians. But the Pharisees are strongly religious and have a high degree of their identity, as we know, they're the holiness movement, a high degree of their identity in the law and following the law of Moses. And they hated the Romans for their occupation of Israel. Now, the Herodians are advocates of the Herodian dynasty. They're not so much caught up on the law of Moses or anything to do with the temple or anything to do with uh, you know, the religious side of Israel, the Herodians are about the pol political side of things. They're, they're, they're about the politics. They are advocates of the Herodian dynasty, and they hope to see Herod and the dynasty of Herod maintain his power as he's set up as a puppet government under Israel. Now, the Herodians didn't like the Romans either, but the Herodians were clients of the Romans because Herod was the puppet government set up by Rome. Herod was the vassal king of Rome, and so the Herodians wanted to stay on the good side of Rome, and they wanted to try to negotiate more power for Herod and for their political party. So the Pharisees and the Herodians both hate Jesus, and so they come together and try to figure out a way to disarm this new king who is rising and this one who has authority over the law of Moses and the one who has authority and who is proclaiming to be king. And the Herodians don't want any of that. And so to see the Pharisees together with the Herodians represents basically a desperate coalition. But if they could get Jesus to utter treason against Rome, to appear as an insurrectionist, then Rome could probably solve their problem for them. So they come. The Pharisees and the Herodians send their students out to trap Jesus. 
And they say this, they say, teacher, we know that you are true and to teach the way of God and you teach the way of God truthfully and you don't care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. I mean, they open up with such a slimy lie. It is dripping with so much insecurity, insincerity. You can, you can almost see Jesus's eyebrow arching as they walk up with this opening line. Like, do you think that that flattery is going to work on the God of the universe? That Jesus is going to get all giggly and gooey and flustered because these guys compliment him. It just reveals so much about the character of these enemies of Jesus and reveals how ignorant they are of who they are approaching. And make no mistake, these are enemies that are full of malice. I'm being kind of rough on them in this message, the way I'm talking about them, and that's deliberate. These people are hypocrites. They're foolish. They are full of evil and malice. They are enemies of Jesus. They do not know who he is. The very fact that they walk up to him with this line of flattery is insulting, as though Jesus is going to care what they think about him and get flustered or, you know, be generous towards them because they flattered him. They just have no clue. All the things they say are true, but they don't believe any of it. Jesus does actually teach God's truth perfectly. He does not need anyone's good opinion of himself. He is impartial and equal in his relationships with everyone he encounters. That all is true, but they don't believe any of it. They actually think the opposite of those things. They accuse Jesus of not teaching God's word properly. They think that Jesus is walking around doing this, trying to gather followers because he wants to, you know, somehow you know, gain influence in the area uh, and that he is somehow partial about what people think about him. But they are just oblivious to who Jesus is and they obviously don't realize that he is not going to fall for the bait in their trap. Now, the trap that they decide to lay in verse 17 and both the Pharisees and the Herodians have a stake in the answer to this question. Verse 17 says, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is not an unimportant question. It's a pressing issue of their time. This is a cultural discussion that is taking place. And you can think of some of the cultural discussions that we're having right now that are taking place that Christians are being asked to judge on, that, people are being, that Christians are being asked a biblical opinion on. What do you think? Is this right or is this right? Is it right that we do this or not do this? Is it right that we treat certain people this way or that we say certain things about this? So this question is a cultural hot topic. It is something that the Jewish people are very much interested in a question or an answer to, and it has biblical implications. So it's a pressing issue. And there are many issues that arose for Jews, as you can imagine, in, in a Roman-occupied Israel. There's so many ethical questions that any nation that's under foreign and hostile rule would have, especially pagan rule, right? That's going to be important here. This is a Roman emperor, and it's Jewish people who are supposedly under the law of God that have to interact with him. So this question is important. It's not just a throwaway question. But the question of paying taxes hit where it really hurt. Not only did the Jewish people have to suffer the occupation of Rome, they had to pay their occupiers to, pay, to occupy them. They are being asked to support whether, whether they should, what they consider to be an unjust governance, government. And so the, there's a certain element here where it's basically, they're saying like, come on, Jesus, 
Don't you know where these tax dollars go? Don't you know what these taxes support? How could you be for us paying taxes to a pagan government that's using those tax dollars to do things against us? So, Jesus, should we Israelites pay tax to an occupying emperor? And they think they have laid such a beautiful trap. Here's the trap. If he says yes, then the Pharisees win because he looks like a Roman collaborator. He will appear to have no credibility as a king of the Jews. He will have no credibility as the Messiah. How can you say you are the Messiah and yet be a collaborator with the enemy? If he says yes, the Pharisees win. If Jesus says no, you shouldn't pay the tax, then he looks like an insurrectionist. And the Herodians will be able to run off to their, you know, their puppet masters, Rome, and they will be able to tell Rome uh, that Jesus is uh, fomenting insurrection and that uh, he needs to be, uh, it's, a, it's a treasonous, he's a treasonous person, it's a capital offense, and he needs to be killed. So if Jesus says yes, he loses. If Jesus says no, he uses. And you're thinking, just don't say yes, just don't say no. That's the trap. And it seems like it must be a yes or no question and that whatever Jesus answers, he loses. But here's the thing. Jesus sees right through them. And here's the other thing we have to realize is that Jesus doesn't really want to teach them a lesson about paying taxes. Jesus wants to use this question of theirs to teach them about the condition of their heart. Taxes and paying taxes to the government are not the point of this lesson. Their rebellion and their resistance against the authority that God has in their life is going to be his lesson. Verse 18 says, But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? You see, Jesus knows the condition of their hearts. Jesus knows that they are filled with malice. Jesus knows they are filled with resistance. Jesus knows that they are hypocrites. These are rebels against God. They want to live life on their terms. The Pharisees want to continue interpreting the way the law favors them. They want to keep doing things the way they do things without having to acquiesce to, without having to acknowledge the authority that Jesus have. Jesus says, you're the tenants who have temporary residence right now in God's vineyard, and you're the tenants who are rejecting his servants and his son who has come to you. You will even kill the owner's son eventually. So this lesson is about the hearts of those that would resist the authority of God. So he says, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to him, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Now notice it is the coin for the tax. This is important. This is an object lesson about a coin. The coin is important. The Roman tax, we have to understand here, could only be paid with Roman coin. It's like if you had to pay taxes in the U.S., you have to pay U.S. taxes in U.S. dollars, not Canadian. Well, the Roman tax can only be paid with Roman currency, and it makes sense. It's a Roman tax. Now, here's the thing. If you don't have Roman coin in order to pay the Roman tax that the Romans are demanding, then you would have to exchange your Hebrew money, your Hebrew coin, for Roman coin. So you'd have to go, just like we would, to exchange money for the U.S., you would have to go to a Roman bank, and you would have to exchange your money for their money. And Rome would make money on the exchange rate, obviously. And then after you exchanged your money for their money and they made some money on the exchange, then you would take that Roman coin that you just purchased 
and you would give it back to them. You just send that coin that you just traded for right back to Rome again. And so Rome got money on both sides of the deal. Very clever way to do it. But the coin also itself is obviously important because Jesus has them look at it and read it for a reason. The silver denarius would have had a picture of the current Caesar on it, as we're told. Any child could see that's a picture of Caesar. But it also had an inscription, the words referring to Caesar. And in this case, the words would be, Tiberius, Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So the coin had stamped on it an image of Caesar, and the coin says, Tiberius is Caesar, Tiberius is divine, Tiberius is God, and he is the son of his father, the divine, the God Augustus. And so you can see what both the Pharisees and the Herodians hate about this tax. They hate this coin. And you can see why they would think it would be a valid question to ask a Jewish rabbi. The Pharisees hate it because it says that Tiberius is God. Imagine if you had to pay a tax to Justin Trudeau that literally said right on it, I, Justin Trudeau, am your God. And on top of that, we know that Justin is going to take that tax dollar that claims him to be God, and he's going to use that tax to oppress and undermine our faith and our identity. The Pharisees hated this tax. They hated the coin. And the Herodians hated it too, for various reasons that we talked about, different reasons why they hated it. But a reason that they share together is just because this particular tax is a poll tax. It's a head tax. It's a tax for simply existing as a Roman vassal. This is why Rome would take a census as they did when Jesus was born, you remember, sending Mary and Joseph off to Bethlehem in order for them to be counted. Rome had to know how much tax to collect from the nation they conquered. So basically, this tax says we own you. It says, you owe Caesar this tax just because you exist. But now Jesus totally stuns them. And perhaps he stuns us too with his answer, if we can imagine paying a tax like that. He says to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now, It's an interesting English word choice here, render to Caesar, isn't it? The NIV just says give, but give isn't exactly the same as render, is it? And render is a good English choice here for the Greek apodidomi, because apodidomi carries with it the implication that you are offering something that is owed or something that is due. It's right for you to give it. That's what apodidomi means. It means pay upwards or pay what is due. Render is actually a good word in English for this. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Jesus basically says here, Caesar should receive his due. Just as he told his disciples earlier to honor the temple tax, Jesus tells these students to honor the civil authority. And notice it doesn't depend on who the civil authority is. It doesn't depend on the civil authority being good governance or the law being good law. It's a pagan government. It's probably not a very just tax. I mean, it pays for their own oppression. So obviously it's not a just tax. But Jesus says, even though this tax is unjust, even though this money is being used for unjust things, even though this is a pagan government, Jesus says, pay it. 
It's Caesar's coin. It's the government that is in authority over you. And so pay what it is due. Honor Caesar and give him what he is due. But let's not get distracted here because remember, this lesson from Jesus isn't really about paying taxes or not. Right? That's the question the Pharisees and the Herodians are asking. But the lesson Jesus wants to teach isn't about paying taxes. It just becomes an object lesson for his real teaching. And if you make this a text about our duty to pay taxes, then you're missing the point Jesus is making. Jesus is talking about something far more serious about whether Pharisees or Christians pay taxes. He's talking about authority and rebellion and the dangerous resistance that is found in the human heart. It's the next phrase that carries the lesson that Jesus wants them and wants us to learn. He answers a question that they didn't even ask. They were just asking about tax. And he says, yeah, sure, pay the tax. But then Jesus says, and render to God the things that are God. Oh, this is the crunch. Jesus knows this is what the Pharisees are really driving at. This is about resisting the word of God. This is about resisting the authority of Jesus. This is about trying to trap him. This isn't really about taxes and the Roman government. This is about the Pharisees trying to get out from under the implications of Jesus as Messiah. They don't want to worship the Son. They want to kill him. They don't want anything to do with this new kingdom Jesus is preaching. Repent. They don't want to repent. Live true to the law and not live according to the law that they've established that sets them up in society. They don't want that. They don't want to submit to God's authority in Jesus. But Jesus asks very pointedly, Are you willing to give God what he is due the way you are willing to pay to Caesar? Jesus takes this trap that they have laid for him and he turns it into an object lesson for his own teaching. He says, yeah, pull out the coin. I'm going to teach you something, you know, now that you bring it up. And he says, even though you hate to pay Caesar, you still do it. You honor Caesar because you are afraid not to. But what is Caesar compared to God? Are you willing to give to God what he is due Why are you not willing to give God the honor that he is owed? You pay this tax even to an enemy that you hate, so why won't you worship and honor properly the God that you claim to love? The coin bears the image of Tiberius. Jesus points it out. So he says, give it to Tiberius. But the bigger question that Jesus is asking here, in which they marvel at and leads them away silently, is this. What image do you bear? You bear the image of God. And so you should give yourself to God. You should proclaim him properly as God, the way the coin proclaims Caesar as divine. The coin belongs to Caesar, but you belong to God. And yet, even though you give to Caesar, you do not give to me. We are image bearers of God. He is our creator. We bear his stamp. God is worthy of our honor simply because we are his And yet even those who claim to love him honor him less than we honor earthly authorities. But the lesson of Jesus goes even deeper than that. It's true that the coin represents us as general image bearers of God. But the image on the coin of Tiberius points even more specifically to one specific image bearer. There are millions potentially of Tiberius images out there as coins. 
just as we are a myriad of image bearers of God, but there is one image of God, one unique image. And this is, I think, why they are literally speechless in amazement as they leave. Because Jesus is also saying, I'm here. I stand before you. I am uniquely bearing the portrait of God into this world. Remember that the coin says Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So just as Tiberius bears the divine image of his father, Augustus, Jesus says, I am the true image bearer of the father. I'm not just one of the stamped images that are out there. I am the image of God. I am the original image bearer. I am the perfect image of the Father. And when you see me, you see the Father, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God. When you see this coin and you see the image that is on the coin, you already know what you're supposed to do with that coin. When you see the coin and you see Tiberius's image on it, you know that that coin is supposed to go back to Tiberius. It's supposed to go back to the true image bearer. But, Jesus says, you see me. And I'm an image bearer of God. Why don't you know what to do with me? Why do you not honor God through me the way you honor Caesar through his coin? Ouch. Ouch. And they get it. Verse 22. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. (laughs) Marveled. It doesn't mean like, ooh, that was like, a great trick or something. It means they were dumbstruck. It means they were gobsmacked. They were silenced. They had nothing left to say because Jesus didn't answer yes or no. (laughs) Jesus took their carefully laid little trap, you know, with the, you know, the bait of the flattery sprinkled on it as well. And he turned their whole trap into an object lesson, not about paying taxes, but about the condition of their heart. And the Pharisees and the Herodians just walk away. He's done it again. They got it. We get it. We better get it. Because that question comes down through the centuries and lands on us with the same force that it landed on them. Why is it when we see Jesus who says that we also see the Father... When we see Jesus who bears the likeness of the invisible God, when we look on the one who bears the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, why would we withhold anything from God that he claims from us when he bears the image of God? We pay our taxes to governments that frustrate us and even, you know, attack our faith and our values. We pay the bank what they're due on our mortgage. We pay Rogers every month for our cell phone and our TV. We honor the health unit rules and the impositions they impose on our lives, even though we may begrudge them. We give honor to all the authorities of this world all of the time. But Jesus asks, do we give God what he is due? We're really good at giving honor to the authorities around us, even authorities that we don't agree with, even authorities that we would consider enemies of us. Jesus asks again, you bear the image of God. I'm the image bearer of God. Do you honor me? Do you recognize the authority that I have on your life? We serve the world plenty, I think, compared to how much we serve God. 
Why do we live lives that offer more honor and obedience to a world that we are not truly citizens of, that frustrates and even enslaves us, than we offer to our Lord Jesus? And notice Jesus doesn't say, don't honor the authorities of this world. Don't, don't take that away from this. We should honor the authorities of this world. We've seen that teaching already. But Jesus says here to these supposedly very religious and very zealous Jews, Jesus says to supposedly very passionate Christians, why do you honor me, your true God, your true treasure, your true joy, your true provision? Why do you honor me less than you honor these puny worldly substitutes, these pretend gods? It's a hard lesson. It's about the authority that God has to say, I created you, I minted you, you bear my image. Everyone owes me honor as image bearers of me. But I have sent my son who is my true image bearer. And it's through him that you owe me honor. So why do you resist? I know for myself, when I run into the authority of Jesus, my first instinct is this kind of resistance. I want to have something the easy way and the easiest way for me to get things on my terms is to avoid what Jesus says to avoid the authority and the implication he has on my life. And so I just sort of resist the way that Jesus would have me go about things. Or I want something I shouldn't have. Jesus says, no, that thing is not for you, not that way. But I don't like his authority, and so I justify it. And I say, well, I want to live my life that way. I want that lifestyle. I want that worldview. I want that thing. I want, I want, I want things on my terms. And so I know for myself, I resist the authority of Jesus. We're all good at doing it. But Jesus says, that makes you a hypocrite. Puts you in the camp with the Pharisees. Be careful. Jesus says, you bear my mark. Honor me the way that you honor the world in a shadowy way. Honor me rightly before God. You are God's. Render to God what is God's. And what is God's? You are. Your life is. Not just a coin. Not just the stuff you have. You, 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 you are God's. As Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what Jesus is drilling down to here. This is why the Pharisees and the Herodians walk away silent. They are dumbstruck by this lesson. Jesus says, you want to talk about pain, what is due to the image bearer of a coin? You bear the image of God. I am the image of the eternal God. Render to God what is his. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this lesson. Just pray that it would land on us the way it landed on the Pharisees and the Herodians. It's easy in a few verses just to skip over it. But this, this speaks to the human heart. This takes application. And so, Lord, don't let us leave this text too quickly. Let us think about it the next few days. The ways in which we resist Jesus' authority. The way in which we give honor to so many things in our life and yet don't give honor to God. The way we pay so much for so many things in our life but give so little to God. Father, this is a a hard lesson for me to hear. It's a hard lesson for a lot of us. 
the good news is, is that you're a good king. That when we pay to you, it doesn't cost us anything. It's a joy. You want us to serve you and honor you because by serving and honoring you, you set us free of all these earthly kings and kingdoms. You set us free and you give us joy in the one thing that can fully satisfy, and that is you. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Christ's name, amen.